Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, for this beautiful Friday, getting ready to head into the weekend again. I know we just had a long weekend, but whatever, I'm looking forward to it. And here on the John Campia Podcast, what I really like to do is just take the opinions, topics, and questions that you guys send in to me. I really like questions about the recent news that's going on in the world of movies and television or anything else that you guys want to talk about. How do you get a question to me? It's simple. Just email me anytime at the John Campia podcast at gmail.com. So you can send a question there, but also make sure you're following me on social media on Twitter and Facebook. You can see that right below here, simply at John Campia. Cause once in a while I like to hop on my Facebook or Twitter sometimes and ask you guys to send me questions there. And that's where I get the questions from. So with all that out of the way, let's jump into the first question of the day. And the first question today comes to us from David Pyle, who writes, I just read that the new Tomb Raider reboot has recently wrapped shooting, and I wanted to hear what your thoughts were about its prospects. What are your thoughts on Uthog's directing ability and the movie's potential to infuse the video game movie genre? Yeah, okay, so look, I'll admit that a while ago, if you had asked me about, a number of years ago, if you'd asked me about a potential, another Tomb Raider movie after, you know, the ones that were out before, I don't know how excited I would have been. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't hate the Angelina Jolie versions of, of Tomb Raider. As a matter of fact, I think that first Tomb Raider movie is probably one of the better video game movies ever made. But, you know, I, I felt like it wasn't time to reboot it, but whatever. That was a number of years ago. Well, then what happened was they kind of rebooted the video game franchise. And a couple of years ago, they came out with a new Tomb Raider in video game form, and it seemed to have a better narrative to it and all that kind of stuff. And it got a lot more people excited about the brand of Tomb Raider again. So when I heard that they were going to do another one, I was like, okay, this could work. Now, I'm going to agree with you. Um, having a director in there that I've never even heard of is a little bit concerning, but not massively concerning. Look, every director has to start somewhere. Now, I'm often, you know, pretty outspoken about, I don't want a new director directing their first film when it's a big giant tentpole. But I don't think Tomb Raider qualifies as that. Look, no video game movies have been excessively successful. There hasn't been a Tomb Raider in a long time. It's not like it's going to be one of the hottest movies of the year. So while I normally don't like first-time directors or first-time big motion picture directors to take on a giant, you know, recognizable property like a Star Wars or a Star Trek or a James Bond or something along those lines, I think Tomb Raider, considering the state of video game movies right now, is actually not a bad place to go. All right, we move on to the next question. And the next one comes to us from Trey Davis, who writes, Comic-Con is coming up later this month. DC has two movies with official release dates coming out, Justice League in November and Aquaman next December. Assuming DC will be there, and they are going to be at Comic-Con, do you think they will focus their time on those two movies, or will they also announce future movies and tell us about movies like Batman, Batgirl, and Flash? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Warner Brothers has been killing it at Comic-Con the last couple of years. Last year... I think at Comic-Con, they handled themselves brilliantly because, and I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Last year, going into Comic-Con, what was the conversation? The conversation was Batman versus Superman disappointed a lot of fans and a lot of critics. 
Suicide Squad disappointed a lot of fans and a lot of critics. Batman vs. Superman didn't make nearly as much money as it should have. Suicide Squad actually overperformed a little bit, but the conversation was negative. The, ne- the narrative, if you will, wasn't positive. Warner Brothers went into Comic-Con last year, and even though you could make an argument that it was too soon for a Justice League trailer last year, or a Wonder Woman trailer last year, they decided to go in there with both barrels blazing. They put out a great Justice League trailer and easily the best trailer of Comic-Con last year, the Wonder Woman trailer. And just like that, Warner Brothers changed the narrative. They didn't go in to Comic-Con and talk about Batman versus Superman. They didn't go into there and talk about Suicide Squad. They weren't going to dwell on the quote-unquote failures that they have, they've had. I enjoyed those two movies, but you know, a lot of people didn't. They didn't allow the conversation to stay on those two. They immediately shifted the conversation to the positive, to a great new Justice League trailer and a great new Wonder Woman trailer. And all of a sudden, the narrative changed. From that point on, most people weren't talking about how let down they were by Batman versus Superman or Suicide Squad or whatever. Now they were talking about how great does that Justice League trailer look? How great does Wonder Woman look? That's what people were suddenly talking about. So they did a great job with that last year. I suspect Warner Brothers has one of two options, and you brought them both up in your email, in how to handle themselves at Comic-Con this year. They can either, number one, focus the lion's share of their attention on the existing movies they have coming out. And right now, that's Justice League and that's Aquaman. So focus their attention on those things. Keep the positive narrative going. The other thing they could do is want to talk about their wider slate. Try to make a splash with some projects that aren't even in production yet. You know, you're talking about the new Batman standalone film. You're talking about Batgirl. You're talking about The Flash, if they ever get that going again. You know, all that kind of stuff. Here's what I think they're going to do and why I think they'll do it, okay? What I think they're going to do is they'll focus and put all their attention on Justice League and put their focus and attention on Aquaman for a couple of reasons. On a practical level, they need Justice League to succeed. They really do. Wonder Woman was a great recovery. It really was. But they need to follow Wonder Woman up with a strong showing with Justice League. They just have to. So, because what you don't want to do is kind of undermine the progress that Wonder Woman made for you by following it up with another disappointing film. You want all the attention to be on Justice League and you want to knock it out of the park with Justice League. Because now, because, you know, some people might say, oh, Wonder Woman was a fluke. Okay, you want to get rid of that conversation? Make a follow-up film that's really good and gets a lot of people's attention. Keep the narrative positive. Focus on what's in front of you. The other reason why I think they're going to focus more on Justice League and Aquaman than all these other projects is because... I think they're very aware and cognitive about the narrative. You start talking about Flash at Comic-Con, then that opens up the conversation again to about all the starts and stops and ups and downs and the release dates and canceling of release dates that the movies had already. There's no reason to do that. You want to keep away from that right now. Talk about the Flash after you put out a kick-ass Justice League movie. Because if you put out a kick-ass Justice League movie, those conversations about Flash and Batgirl, those are all going to be much more positive conversations, I think. Not to mention, I know I reference this a lot, but you really do have to keep it in mind. You know, Warner Brothers executives not so long ago said they were slowing down a little bit until after Batman, sorry, until after Justice League comes out. I think that's wise on their part right now. They want to see where they're at. They want to understand where their footing is once Justice League comes out and understands where the public stands with it. So for those reasons and more, I do think it's possible 
that they come out and put on a full plate of Batgirl and Flash and Cyborg movies and Green Lantern movies and all this kind of stuff. That is definitely possible. But what I think they'll do, because they've shown themselves to be really smart at Comic-Con in the past, I think they'll go in there and they'll keep the positive attention on Justice League and then a little bit of positive attention on Aquaman. And that's just the way I think they're going to do it. And if they do that, I think they win Comic-Con this year. Once again, I think they win Comic-Con. Because say whatever you want about Warner Brothers and their DC properties. Man, can they put out killer trailers. Because that, that remember that first Batman versus Superman trailer they put out at Comic-Con a couple years ago? That was easily the best co- trailer of the year. Easily. They can cut buzz-worthy trailers. And that's what they want to do. They want to keep that positive momentum going that they started last year at Comic-Con. They followed up with a good Wonder Woman movie. And now they got to keep that train going. So, yeah, I-, I think what they should do is just focus on Justice League and Aquaman and let the other stuff, worry about the other stuff later once you got another positively received movie under your belt. All right. Thanks a lot for the question, Trey. We'll move on to the next question. And this one comes from Brian Krauss, who writes, or Cruz, sorry, Brian Cruz, who writes, in a recent podcast, you mentioned your wife is an exec at Hasbro. I'm curious, does she get a little offended at you and your former Collider colleagues bashing the Transformers movies? Yeah, um, my wife, Anne, she's not an executive. She's a senior person over there, though, over at Hasbro. And uh, she works at Hasbro. She has for a couple of years now. And uh, I love having my wife work at Hasbro. It's the coolest thing. They make all the Star Wars toys. Um, does she get bothered? Because if you saw my Transformers trailer or any of my last four Transformers trailers, you know I, I bashed those movies pretty harshly. Does she get offended? No, not at all. And I have met her bosses, the, the big execs at Hasbro. They're not bothered by it either. They know that I have a job that is not connected to Anne. I have a job, which is to honestly critique movies and give my opinion on movies. And if they put out a Transformers movie, that's a piece of garbage. I'm going to tell people it's a piece of garbage. And they don't get bothered by that at all. But why? Because they're professionals. But it did make me think of something. And I put this up on my Facebook page yesterday. It did get me thinking, you know, I sometimes get accused by, by brain dead, you know, fanboys um, of being either paid off by Marvel or paid off by DC. It depends on who the lunatic fanboy is. The fa- the lunatic DC fanboys accuse me of being paid off by Marvel. The lunatic Marvel fanboys accuse me of being paid off by DC. Whatever. I've never taken a dime or been offered a dime from either of those companies because they're both professional. Um, but it, it just struck me last night. It's like, yeah, you know, you'd think if I was going to be biased for any entertainment company, it would be Hasbro. Because for the last couple of years, Hasbro has been responsible for at least half of my household income. If you want to look at it that way, Hasbro has contributed hundreds of thousands of dollars to my bank account over the past couple of years because Anne works for Hasbro. So if you want to look at it that way, no one could ever give me as much money as Hasbro has given me over the last couple of years. And did you see my review of the Transformers? I just thought that was funny that you'd think if I would be biased for anybody – and if I was going to have, you know, a prejudice, it would be for Hasbro because they give a lot of money to my family, to me and Anne, because Anne works there. You'd think it would be for them. But uh, no, uh, they put out a horrible movie. I say it's a horrible movie. That's just the way it has to be. Like, as if I didn't call Transformers trash, then when uh, – what was that? Uh, uh, not Goblins, Trolls. When Trolls came out, the animated film Trolls came out last year. It was actually better than I thought it was going to be. And I said, you know what? This movie's not bad. This is, this movie's kind of charming. 
Why would anybody believe me if I'm talking positively about a Hasbro property movie if I'm not going to be honest about Hasbro property movies? So I've got to be honest across the board or else. And, you know, a lot of people love my opinions and a lot of people hate my opinions and I'm okay. I'm totally okay with anybody loving my opinion or hating my opinion as long as I know that they're loving or hating my honest opinion. I can live with that. I can live with people because remember, my job is not to make people agree with me. My job is to give my opinion in such a way that it helps you as a viewer clarify why you agree with me or help you clarify as a viewer why you disagree with me. That's my only job. Present my opinion so you can better sharpen your opinion. And it doesn't have to be the same as mine. It can be totally different. That's my job. And I can't do my job if I'm not being honest by what I think. That doesn't mean what I think is good or bad or right or wrong. It just means it's my honest opinion. Anyway, thanks a lot for the question, Brian. All right. The next question today comes to us from Jenny Dunn. And Jenny Dunn writes, I read on Deadline that Spider-Man Homecoming is tracking for around a $100 million domestic opening weekend. That can't be right, can it? I thought it would be closer to $180 million or something like that. Yeah, um, I recently, and I read the same report in Deadline, actually. The re- Deadline is reporting that domestically, they're expecting Spider-Man Homecoming to have about a $100 million opening weekend, which is huge. And they're tracking because they're only opening in about 60% of the foreign markets on the same weekend. They're tracked for like a 250 million worldwide opening weekend. And I'll admit that's a little smaller than I thought. But really, if you think about it, it's not crazy. Look, think of it this way. Number one, nobody knows who Tom Holland is. Like a lot of us in the geek circles, we know who Tom Holland is because we've been talking about him incessantly ever since they cast him as Spider-Man. But 99% of the movie-going audience aren't in our circles. So a lot of people out there, you've got a new star playing Spider-Man that most moviegoers have never even heard of. So that's one thing. The second thing, and this is probably even a bigger thing, is this. You're talking about a franchise that is now in its third reboot. I mean, I mean, really, it's kind of crazy, silly when you think about it, or it's third incarnation, I should say. Second time it's been rebooted, third incarnation in just a few years. So you're probably going to get a lot of people that need to get back on board with the Spider-Man franchise that might not be on board right now. Because it's like, look, I've fooled me once, you fooled me twice. I mean, like, Tommy McGuire Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, this new Tom Kid Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. So I think there's a little bit of that is going to be out there as well. And some people say, well, yeah, but John, but what about the massive popularity of home or not homecoming of uh, Civil War? Well, remember, I mean, Spider-Man was only in two scenes in Civil War. They were fantastic scenes, amazing, but I don't think it was enough to get most people talking about. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't a good chunk of the movie-going audience out there that don't even realize that that Spider-Man in Civil War is the same Spider-Man that we're getting in Homecoming. So there's a little bit of an uphill battle that Sony and Marvel have to face. The big question to me is not how much does it make opening weekend. The big question to me is once word of mouth gets out about it and people start seeing it, How strong will the legs be on this movie? I think they're going to be pretty damn strong. I've seen the movie. It's in my top five films of the year so far. I really had a lot of fun with it. I think this marriage between Sony and Marvel gave us a Spider-Man like no other Spider-Man we've seen before and given us a Marvel film like no other Marvel film we've seen before. And I'm all of a sudden very excited about seeing Sony and Marvel continue to work together on this project and on this property. I still think that it's going to come in a little bit north of 100. I'm going to go in at 120. 
So I'm going to throw my net out there. Uh, I mean, we'll know on Sunday in just a couple of days. I'm going to throw my net out. I'm going to say Spider-Man Homecoming's opening domestic weekend is going to be in the 120 range. We'll see if I'm right. Jump into the comments section right now. What do you think Spider-Man Homecoming is going to do domestically in its opening weekend? Do you think that $100 million mark is right? Do you think it's going to come in under that? Do you think it's going to come in over it? Let me know your thoughts. All right, we move on now to the next question. And the next question comes to us from William Bento, who writes, How much is or should the message of a movie to be considered when talking about Oscar consideration? For example, an amazing movie that happens to be Nazi propaganda. I, I like this question, not necessarily because of the Nazi angle. First of all, I think if there was a movie with uh, that was about pro-Nazi propaganda, I don't think anybody's going to go see that movie anyway in the first place. So I'm not really quite sure how to address that. But I've often had arguments with friends of mine about how much should the message of the movie be weighed into whether or not you think the movie is good or not. Because, you know, I've had conversations with friends of mine. Like, I've come out of a movie that I didn't think was very good. And I'd say, that wasn't very good. And they go, how can you say that? It's about a a 20-year-old man coming out to his father as gay when his father's had cancer of the feet. And he's also a heroin, heroin addict who was unemployed in the 1920s through harsh times while his mother was being was fighting anti-women prejudice in the workplace. How can you not like a movie like that? And it's like, I've, now obviously there's no one movie that kind of fits those qualifications. But my point would always be to my friends when I would have these types of arguments is like, yeah, those are all great things to, those are great messages. Doesn't mean you made the movie good. I mean, that's great. You made an important movie, or at least you made a, me- a movie with an important message. That doesn't made you made the, that doesn't mean you made the movie well. Like, I remember I, I had a lot of fights. Now, don't get me wrong. I really, I quite enjoy the movie Brokeback Mountain. I think it's very good. But I also remember the year that it was nominated for Best Picture. I didn't think it had any business winning Best Picture. But John, the message of the movie, I, I get that. And it's an important message. Love is love, equality. I get it. I'm all for that. I think it was a great message. That doesn't mean I thought the movie was executed that well. I thought it was executed well. I liked the movie. I was okay with it being nominated for Best Picture, but I didn't think it had any business winning Best Picture. And it didn't. But I I didn't. I had a lot of arguments with friends of mine. And they would misunderstand me saying, no, I don't think Brokeback Mountain should win Best Picture. Saying, oh, so you didn't like the, the message of equality for, no, of course I did. But that, the movie isn't the message. The message is a part of the movie. That's a starting point from where you go, but you still got to execute a great movie. You got to give me characters that I get in, like that I get attached to. You got to give me compelling dialogue. You've got to gr- give me great dramatic tension. You got to give me all that kind of stuff. And Brokeback Mountain did to a degree, but I didn't think better than a number of other films that came out that year. So this whole idea about how important is the message of the movie, I think it's your starting point. I mean, that's it's basically the message of the movie kind of becomes a nucleus to which everything else revolves around. And that's great. But if all you have is a starting point and you don't execute everything else better, then what's the point? Then it ultimately doesn't actually end up being anything. So while I understand you were just using hyperbole and talking about an anti-Nazi message... It is something I actually don't take the message of the movie all that much into consideration when evaluating whether I thought the movie was good or not. Now, if the movie's good, 
then a great positive message can just make it even better and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But I just don't think of it in those terms normally. And I don't know, maybe I'm a freak for not thinking of it that way. Maybe you do. Do me a favor, jump into the comments section and let me know how much does the message of a movie affect on whether or not you thought the movie was a good movie or not. I'd love to hear your opinions on that. All right. Now we move on to the final question of the day. And this question comes to us from Pardis Jesudasin, who writes, Do you think the reason that Disney and Lucasfilm didn't show anything about Han Solo at Celebration due to the behind-the-scenes drama? I remember going into Star Wars Celebration being very put off by the notion that they weren't going to show us any Star Wars stuff. This was an annual, and now it's only every couple of years, because there's not going to be a Star Wars celebration next year. This is an annual event where people from all over the world were flying in to Orlando, because you said for a week, this is going to be the center of the Star Wars universe, and you got a movie coming out, and you're not going to talk about that movie? And I remember being very put off by it. And, you know, some of my friends would say to me, don't worry, John, I'm sure they're going to talk about it at uh, D23, or I'm sure they're going to talk about it at Comic-Con. And I say, hey, that's fine. But this is Star Wars Celebration. This is, people flew in, people saved up for a year to fly in here from all over the world to be here. And you're not going to talk about one of the movies you've already got well into production? That seems pretty freaking lame. And ultimately, you know, I had a lot of, oh, John, you're overreacting, you're overreacting, you're overreacting. But now I am 100% sure. I can't prove it, but I am 100% sure that the reason they didn't talk about it is because they had drama going on behind the scenes uh, with Han Solo. I am 100% sure they're also not going to talk about it at Comic-Con or D23 because they, much like Warner Brothers, they want to stay on message. And that's the message is everything positive. Episode eight's coming out. Look how cool Luke Skywalker looks. All this kind of stuff. They're going to keep it really positive. And yeah, I mean, you're, it's a really good observation. I Now I believe 100% that the reason they did not talk about Han Solo's celebration was because of all the behind the scenes drama that was going on that we did not know about between the directors, Lord and Miller and Lucasfilm. And the fact that Lord and Miller tried to hijack the movie and go off and make a movie that they didn't agree to make in the first place. Because from all reports, they were turning it, they were going off script a ton and trying to turn Han Solo into a slapstick comedy. And that's not what Lucasfilm wanted. And it's not what they agreed to. And I love Lord and Miller. I'm a huge Lord and Miller fan. Love their movies. But you agreed to make a certain movie. You can only go off script so much and, and until you're changing the entire identity of the movie. And that's not your call. Han Solo doesn't belong to you. You were a steward of the Han Solo property. You had no right to change it up like that. So I'm glad for them that they're off the project. I'm glad for Lucasfilm that they're off the project now. Lord Miller can go and focus on films that will be satisfying for them creatively, and they'll make some amazing films that'll make us laugh and be entertained. And Lucasfilm can get back on track and make a Han Solo movie, an actual Star Wars movie, and not a slapstick comedy. So yes, that is why I believe they didn't do it. And that's why I believe they're not going to talk about it much at either D23 or Comic-Con. I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope, because I'm going to go to D23... I hope they talk about Han Solo. I'm going to be at Comic-Con. I hope they talk about it at Comic-Con. So 
Yeah, there you go. But hey, guys, listen, speaking of Comic-Con, every year I do a panel called The Masters of the Web. And this year is no different. It's going to be on Thursday of Comic-Con at 11 a.m. in room 7AB. And the theme of the panel this year is The Current State of Comic Book Movies. Now, I can't tell you everybody who's going to be on the panel, but I can tell you a couple of names. Number one, the wonderful Trisha Hirschberger is going to be on the panel. I know a lot of you guys are looking forward to seeing her there. And also, I went to a couple of buddies of mine to be on the panel as well. Number one, Christian Harloff is going to be on the panel. And of course, John Schnepp is going to be on the panel talking about the current state of comic book movies. And we're going to have one or two other people there as well. I'll announce those in the coming days. And hey, guys, also, I want to remind you, an app I love using. It's called Fee or Share the Meal. I was going to call it Feed the Meal. Share the Meal, okay? It's really easy. I know deep down all of us want to do something that changes the world. So this app is incredibly easy. You open it up on your phone. You tap the Share the Meal button. And if you've got it set up, then it just automatically donates $3.50. And $3.50 feeds a kid for a week. It's amazing. So I really want to encourage you guys. It's on iOS and Android. Go download Share the Meal and make a difference in somebody's life today. Also, guys, since you're here, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on Facebook and on Twitter, simply at John Campion. That'll do it for, for me for today, guys. Thanks for a lot for joining me. And until next time, bye-bye.